22, verse 11, Moses is now an adult. He has lived his life in the Pharaoh's household, but he also knows there's another calling on him. So Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren, and he looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now there's a lot of little details here we need to go through. First off, at this time, Moses is about 40 years old. We know this from studying in Acts 7 and Exodus 7. His life is divided into 40-year segments. He spends his first 40 years living in Pharaoh's household. He spends the next 40 years then in the wilderness in Midian, which we'll get to here later on. Then he spends the next 40 years leading Israel in the wilderness. So at this time, he's about 40 years old. Now, Moses is the type of guy at this time that he's a do-something type of guy. He's just not going to stand around and watch this happen. He's got this burden on his heart, verse 11. He needs to do something. Keep your hand here in Exodus chapter 2. Just jump ahead with me real quick to Acts 7. Acts 7 gives us a little bit more background about what was going through Moses' heart as he was getting ready to do this. Acts chapter 7. And let's go ahead and pick it up here in verse 22. Acts 7, verse 22. And it says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren and the children of Israel. So at 40, he kind of has this epiphany. He has this epiphany. He, he knows that he's Jewish. He knows, but he's got this unique position. So he wants to go do something. So verse 24, And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day, he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian. Moses knew that he had a deeper calling on his life. He knew that. And he kind of just understood that once he stood up for this one Jew and killed this Egyptian, that the Jews would get this. Now, I don't know what Moses' plan was. If he was going to go around one by one and kill every Egyptian and bury them in the sand. You know, if he tries to do five a day, he could get through a few here and there. This is the problem with the do-something mentality. Moses was in the flesh and not in the Lord. Now, just think about that for a second. What he was doing, he was called to do. But he was doing it in the flesh, his own way, and not the way the Lord has commanded him. I'm just telling you right now, in the 15, 16 years I've been out here, when I run into somebody who has a calling from the Lord, and they want to do it in the flesh and not in the Lord, two things happen. Number one, it never succeeds. And number two, you can never tell them they're wrong. They have to learn the hard way. And what happens is we get this mentality, I can do this, I can fix this. I remember one time talking to a guy about his marriage, and he just kept going on about how, I can fix this marriage, I, I can do this. And I kept telling him, no, you can't. If you personally could fix your marriage, it wouldn't be falling apart. Christ has to come in and do it. Or it's the same thing with someone battling some type of addiction or struggle. I can do this. No, you can't. 
I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, but you can't do it on your own. Moses knew something needed to be done. He knew what was going on with the Jews was wrong. The problem was he was doing it in his own power, his own might, his own strength, and it was never going to work because it was not the Lord's timing yet. So what does he do back to Exodus 2? Look at verse 12 one more time. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. That's the perfect crime, right? The perfect crime. This has been said by many pastors in many different ways. He looked to the left, he looked to the right, but he never looked up. Boy, isn't that the truth? Isn't that what we do in this world? We can hide our steps, right? I, I, can, you know, I can hide my steps. We can delete what we looked at online. We can make sure there's no track of that conversation that happened. And I can do this, and then I can go hide it, verse 12. But here's the problem, and I hate telling you these verses, because these are what I call the scary verses, but they're the true verses. The Bible says this, be careful, your sin will find you out. The Bible says, be careful, those things done in darkness will be brought to light. They will. Moses did everything right. Look to the left, look to the right, killed the guy, hit him in the sand. But the Lord still knew what was going on. Isn't it amazing how we still think we can get away with things? We still think we can hide our tracks. We still think we can hide that sin. The Lord and his love will bring it out. Our youngest, Tyrus, two years old, has got this horrible habit now of he loves to go steal my phone and Dawn's phone. He loves it. And he'll go swipe it and turn it on and start playing stuff. And as I've said with you with all my boys, anytime they're behind the couch, nothing good is ever going on behind the couch. So Tyrus does this now. He'll steal the phone, go hide behind the couch. Tyrus, where are you? No response. Tyrus, where are you? No response. We look behind the couch. He sees us, we see him, and he just so gently, calmly slides the phone under the couch. (laughs) He hid the phone. You know? And one time he was doing it, and he's looking this way and looking that way. He doesn't realize that we can look over top and down on him. Same thing with the Lord. I look this way, I look that way. I I can get away with this. I can hide that sin. But the Lord knows what I hid in the sand. He never looked up. In the flesh, do something. I'm telling you right now, one of the greatest attributes you can have as a mature man or woman in the Lord is being patient to allow the Lord to work in your life. Allow His timing. His timing. How long is it going to take? Because normally when I tell somebody, be patient and allow the Lord to work in your life, their first question is, how, well, how long is it going to take? How long until I'm over this? How long until this marriage is in? How long until this relationship is taken care of? How long till my child starts doing this? I don't know. For Moses, it was 40 years. I don't know how long. But if you try to do it on your own strength and your own flesh, it will never work. It will never work. I want to stress that to you. Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. Pharaoh doesn't have to. He doesn't have anything he has to do here. He knows Moses is a Jew. He can't have insurrection. He can't have rebellion. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to rule, or Jethro, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses, and she bore him a son. 
and called his name Gershom, which means stranger. For he said, I've been a stranger in a strange land. Or I've been a stranger in a foreign land, excuse me. So, once again, we see Moses' personality. Do something. He's sitting at the well. These seven daughters come up. This guy has no son, so the daughters have to do all the heavy work. They come up to water their animals. And as we mentioned before with other studies, to water an animal back in Bible times was a whole lot of work. It wasn't turn the faucet on and fill the bucket. This was a lot of work. So these ladies are coming up here to water the flock. Well, what happens is the shepherds are coming, and they're a bit of a bully. They're not going to respect these women. They show up, get out of the way. We're going to take care of our own flocks. Moses, do something, right? This is Moses' personality. Oh, this isn't right. So Moses stands up. Moses says, we're not going to do this. So Moses drives them away. Moses helps water the flock. Jethro comes back and says, how did you guys get done so quick? Well, there was this man that helped us. Now, I want to read between the lines a little bit, verse 20. And he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. I really think Jethro is saying, why didn't one of you gals marry him? You know, finally a man. You know, the man that can help. We need this. Go grab this guy. This is a good guy. So Moses comes and lives with him. Now, the purpose of these little stories is to show you Moses' heart. He's 40 years old. He's full of life. He's full of strength. He's not going to sit back and do nothing. He is going to step up to the plate. He is going to do something, and he's going to do what he feels is best at that moment. He's not going to let the Lord lead. He's going to let his flesh lead. What Moses has to learn is God first. He has to learn that. And through the rest of Moses' life, he will now have to wait on the Lord to move And when the Lord moves, Moses moves. In the book of Exodus, Moses wasn't allowed to move until the pillar of cloud moved or until the pillar of fire moved. Moses wasn't allowed to move in the book of Numbers until the Ark of the Covenant was moving. For the rest of Moses' life, God is going to say, Moses, you don't get to lead. I lead, you follow. Just ask yourself this. Do you have a personality trait where God doesn't move quick enough and you just need to step in and do it yourself? You're never going to win. Do you have a personality trait where there's a problem in your home, at work, or in your life, and God's not moving quick enough, I just need to fix this one myself? Never going to work. Do you have a personality trait where you're hiding some sin in the sand? It's never going to work. What these verses are doing is introducing us to what Moses' personality is. Then in chapters 3 and 4, 40 years in the future, now Moses at 80, it's God breaking Moses of these personality traits. So, before we move on here, because it kind of changes subjects a little bit in verse 23, anybody have any quick questions, comments on anything here with Moses so far? Ryan? I think it's kind of interesting that the first 40 years of his life are sort of blocked over so quickly because they're, you know, part of the phrase not relevant to the rest of the story. You know, yeah. Well, and I think that's where it's important, like Ryan is saying there, really these first 40 years of Moses' life are glossed over. And that's why we need to be thankful for Hollywood to make movies to show us what really happened because uh, I encourage you, go home, skip your devotions for the next few weeks. Just watch the Ten Commandments because that's really the biblical account of what happened here. It's a little bit like Jesus' life. You know, Jesus is kind of like born, then he's a couple years old, then he's like 12, and then he's 30. And it's almost like God is saying, yeah, don't worry about the rest of this stuff. Don't worry about it. But as mankind, we can't not but think about it. And so that's why there's all these extra biblical accounts of what Jesus did as a child. 
what Jesus did as an adult. And we're kind of drawn to this stuff. And God says, those details don't matter. Same thing with Moses. You bring up a good point here, Ryan. Moses is a baby in the first few verses of chapter 2. Then all of a sudden he's 40. And then all of a sudden chapter 3 is 80. God says, those details don't matter. What matters is when I want to use him and when I want to call him, he's just available and ready. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Okay, real quick, this is setting the scene for what's going to happen next. Verse 23, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. So the Lord sees, the Lord knows, he's not forgetting them. Real quick, if you're a note taker, just remember this verse, a simple verse. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. God did not forget Israel. Even though Israel, I think, they thought they were forgotten, they weren't. Remember last week when we did our study here, at the beginning we talked about uh, Moses' parents and what their names mean, about how Jehovah is glorified and God's not going to forget them. He was not going to forget them. And this is what happens. I see people going through a difficult time, be it health-wise, be it physical, emotional, or spiritual. In the midst of that darkness, they've convinced themselves that God has forgotten them. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He has not forgotten. And so what God is doing here is saying, Israel, I remember I haven't forgotten. Your Redeemer is coming. Your your, your Savior is coming. Don't worry about that. It may just not happen as quick as what we want, but the Lord never forgot them. God had to get Moses of where he wanted Moses to be. See, at age 40, Moses would have led the rebellion. Moses would have raised up the army. That's not what the Lord wanted. Moses had to wait. Excuse me. God had to wait until Moses was 80. 40 years later. Moses had to go through a wilderness time. Some of you here tonight are going through a wilderness time. What is a wilderness time? A wilderness time is where you are stripped of everything but Jesus to show you that the only thing you need is Jesus. That's what a wilderness time is. It's where the Lord takes away everything. And the only thing you have left is the Word and your prayer life and the Holy Spirit. That's about all you got. You turn to friends and family, and they don't understand, they don't get it. You you are trying to say, Lord, where are you speaking? What do you want? And it just kind of feels like this void, this silence. That's a wilderness. You're stripped of everything but Jesus to show you that all you need is Jesus. And you're not the only one going through a wilderness time. Paul went through a wilderness time. He spent three and a half years in the wilderness before he did public ministry. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness David had a wilderness time. Elijah had a wilderness time. Moses spent 40 years. This is what the Lord does. He is not going to put you into service until he knows you're ready for it. He's not going to put you to the next spot until he knows you're ready. Moses needed 40 years of fine-tuning. So remember this. The man we just read in chapter 2 would have taken on the Egyptians one by one. He's going to drive out the shepherds. He's going to do something. Now let's see what he's like. Verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3. He's now 80. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest in Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. If you're a note-taker, you can underline Horeb there. That is a very important location, and that's going to be used many times here in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame. Most people believe the angel of the Lord is what is called a theophany, an appearance of the second figure of the Godhead, Jesus, in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. 
from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now you got to think about this for a second. This is out in the middle of the desert in the wilderness. These are these dry bushes. These are the ones that if you would just light them on fire, they go up in just a couple seconds, and they're just done. Just these twigs would just burn up. So here's this bush burning, but not being consumed. Verse 3, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, there's a couple little interesting things here. Verse 2, he looks, but verse 3, he turns. I will now turn aside. Some of your translations say in verse 3 that he went to go see, I'm going to go look. This is important. This is important. Because why? Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, that's when the Lord spoke to him. The Lord is not going to make Moses do anything. God will call you, and then he asks you to respond. Moses saw this, turned, and wanted this. Then the Lord said, okay, now I'll speak to you point is this. If you don't want to do something, God's not going to make you do it. He's not. He's not going to make you get in the Word. He's not going to make you pray. He's not going to make you love your wife as Christ loved the church. He's not going to make you respect your husband. He's not going to make you raise your kids in a godly way. He's not going to make you show love to all those co-workers that you can't stand. He's not going to make you do any of those things. He says, do you want to do it? If you want to do it, then let's do it here. He says, wait to turn to me. There's that great example. You remember when Jesus walked on the water So here are the disciples in the boat, and they think they're going to sink, and they see Jesus walking on the water towards them. I believe it's in the Gospel of Mark it says this, that Jesus was going to walk past the boat. And the only reason Jesus stopped is because the disciples called out to him. That's not Jesus being rude. That's Jesus basically showing this point. If you want help, ask me. If you don't want help, I'm not going to force myself on you. Somebody out here at church uses this phrase all the time that I love. They say, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never force himself on anybody. You have to desire it. You have to want it. If you're not content with where you're at in life or where you're going or what's going on, have you turned to the Lord to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Moses turned and then God responded. Moses, Moses, those three words, verse 4, here I am. Moses could have turned and fled. He could have said, I'm not interested. No, here I am. Verse 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's just repeating that to remember the covenant. This is a promise that's been going on for hundreds of years, promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites." God sees your suffering. I cannot stress this to you enough. Look at verse 7 one more time. I have surely seen the oppression of my people. When you're going through a tough time, you can hide it to everybody else. But the Lord knows. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
I think I skipped verse 9. Sorry. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Stop right there. It's time. It's time, Moses. Let's go do something. Moses at 40 would have jumped on that. Moses at 80, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? See, Moses for 40 years had just been in the wilderness. I mean, you know, what? who am I, Lord? I'm, you know, at age, where were you 40 years ago, God? I was killing Egyptians and hiding them in the sand. I would have done whatever, I would have done whatever you said. The Lord had to break Moses. There's that great passage where Jesus says that you either fall on the rock and are broken or the rock falls on you and crushes you. Which means you either give your life completely over to the Lord in brokenness and say, I can't do this anymore. Or Christ falls on you and breaks you to teach you a lesson. Moses now is a bit of a broken man. That passion, that excitement, I'm going to deliver the nation of Israel. Nah. God says, though, it's time. There's that great verse in Timothy where it says we're supposed to be prepared in season and out of season. I've come to the conclusion it's not when I want to serve the Lord. It's when the Lord wants me to serve Him that I need to be ready. There's certain days where I'm, I'm ready, Lord, send people. They don't come. Then there's other days where it's, ah, Lord, not today. And that's when everybody shows up, you know? So it's one of those things where the Lord is saying, Moses, it's time. It's time. Moses says, who am I? Verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He says, Moses, you're right here at this mountain. You think this is a wilderness? He goes, just wait. You're going to bring the nation of Israel back to this mountain, and you're going to worship me and serve me here. Come on, Moses, let's go. Verse 13. Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? This is where I wish we had more time, because this really starts building up in chapter 3, and it continues into chapter 4. Every time God calls Moses, Moses comes back with an excuse. Every time. And it builds up to the point of chapter 4 where God gets angry. Because Moses finally in chapter 4 says, Lord, I don't want to do it. This is the guy 40 years ago that was taken out Egyptians. God says no. So first thing, Moses, let's go. Verse 11, ah, who am I? Verse 12, don't worry about it, Moses. You're going to come worship me here. Everything's going to be great. Verse 13, okay, so who should I say sent me? I mean, what's your credentials here? Can you show me a little bit of paperwork that says who you are? What is his name? What should I say to them? Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's powerful. I am. Tough translation. I am means the all-becoming one. It means he is. Well, he is what? Well, he is. You realize that's what it's saying. Who are you? I am. Well, you, you are what? No, you don't get it. I am. I'm everything. That's what God's trying to say. I was taking notes on this, and I realized, you know what? These people say it a whole lot better than me. I just want to read this to you. Now Moses said, what shall I, what shall I say to them that... Excuse me. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God said to Moses, I am that I am. Now, this really is to Moses. God is declaring to Moses the relationship. I am. I am what? I am whatever you're going to need. 
The name of God, a verb, to be, I am. Because God always wants to be you, whatever your particular needs may be. I am your peace, I am your strength, I am your help, I am your guide, I am your righteousness, I am your salvation, I am your hope. Whatever you might be, God will become to you whatever is that need in your life. How beautiful that is. The becoming one is named Yahweh. The becoming one. As God becomes to whatever your need might be. That's what it means. I am. Whatever you need. You're scared, so you need strength. I am. God is now your strength. You're fearful, so you need peace. Okay, I am. God is now your peace. That's what it is. Moses, I am. Whatever you need, I am that for you. Somebody else said this, God becomes whatever is lacking in our time of need. The name I am invites us to fill in the blank to meet our need. When we are darkness, Jesus says, I am the light. When we are hungry, he says, I am the bread of life. When we are defenseless, he says, I am the good shepherd. God is the becoming one, becoming what we need. So whatever you face this week, you have I am on your back to meet that need for you. Whoever you run into this week and they're having a problem that you have no idea what to tell them, you have I am to give to them. You know what? I can't answer your question, but I know who can, the Lord. Then let's go one step further. This name I am is the name that Jesus liked to use. He used it many times throughout the Gospels where he called himself I am because Jesus was claiming to be God. And they got this. Because you remember what happened in John 18? When Jesus was in the garden, they came to arrest him. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. Now when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now why did they fall to the ground? Because they realized who they were dealing with. I am. They were dealing with God. Here's the thing. In the middle of darkness, in the middle of despair, you have to remember, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have to remember that you have a relationship with I am. You have the God who will meet all your needs. Years ago, there was a gal out here that lost her husband. And it was very tragic. It was very sad. And, you know, one of the toughest things to do is minister to a widow because there's nothing you can do to help them in that moment because you can't bring back their loved one. And so I remember talking to this gal, and I remember her saying something I never forgot. And I remember saying something about her being a widow. She goes, oh, I'm not a widow. I said, what do you mean? She goes, I still have my husband. He's the Lord. He goes, he's my husband. I am. And I never forgot that. She never looked at herself as being alone because she said, I have, I am with me. He has now met my needs. And when you really look at it from that perspective, when you start going down that path of darkness and discouragement, and I have no friends, I have no future, I have no hope, my family's falling apart, my marriage is falling apart, my life is falling apart, my job's falling apart. Wait a second, you have I am. The all-becoming one that meets every one of your needs, and he is there to help you through this difficult time. And that's what Jesus is trying, excuse me, that's what Moses is learning from God. God is trying to tell Moses, I am who I am. I am whatever you need, Moses. So whatever you face with Pharaoh, I will meet your needs and help you through it. So we see Moses in the first few verses here of Exodus 2. He'll take on the world. God says, yeah, i got to break you of that, Moses. Fast forward 40 years later, now we have Moses saying, I don't want to do it. And the rest of chapter 3 and the rest of chapter 4 is God speaking to Moses saying, you can do this through me. Moses had to learn that he couldn't do it himself. He had to do it through the Lord and the Lord alone. 
So that's our first point. Our other point is, remember, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Jesus never forgot what they were going through in Egypt. And so God sent the Redeemer, Moses, to rescue them. He never forgets what we're going through. So it's a little after 8. We need to close up shop here. Does anybody have any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up? We'll pick it up next week right there at verse 15. And it's a wonderful conversation between God and Moses. And I highly encourage you. I hope you can make it back out for that. So let's pray.